Welcome to Sofa Security Chat Chat, episode 176 for the 4th of December, 2014. I'm Chester Wisniewski in my cozy studio in Vancouver, Canada, here with my colleague Paul Ducklin. Hey, Paul. Hello, Chester. Uh, I notice I'm not an expert anymore. Not this week. <laughs> I, th- I, th- I think you... Uh... Yeah, I think last week you you, uh, you you earned your credential. Once you've said I'm an expert, it applies until you say otherwise. Yeah, unless unless you've had some sort of career-limiting moment, I think we'll just uh, suffice it to say that you are a computer security expert and will be the expert in this podcast to kind of guide us through the week's news. I guess I know where you're starting. Well, I, I, as much as I wanted to not pay attention to it, I couldn't really ignore the, the Sony story that has been going on for well over a week now. And while... Few details are being publicly confirmed either by Sony or by law enforcement. It certainly appears there has been some sort of a uh, incident involving malware, data breach, this type of thing. Uh, the FBI sent out a, a letter to some U.S. businesses uh, warning them to watch out for things, and people are, are concluding that that's probably in response to the Sony attack. But rather than go into the details of the malware and things, since a lot of that is pure speculation at this point, I, I was wondering, you know, are there takeaways from these types of big incidences that we can uh, t- to learn from, right? Like when when we talked about some of the breaches like Target in the past, it wasn't that all of us are multi-billion dollar credit card processors, right? But there were a lot of lessons to be learned from the incident. Well, there is, Chester, and I think it's very much the same sort of thing that loomed large for me when I heard about Target and Home Depot and other breaches of that sort, is it really does seem as though a lot of large organizations still do have this single giant inside network which stands or falls all in one go. Just the fact that we still don't know what happened at Sony, you're always going to infer the worst, aren't you? I always call it the uh, the soft, gooey center problem. You know, you've got the hard chocolate shell with the soft, gooey center in the candy and, and exactly that kind of thing. I, I, I kind of took the same takeaway. And I mean, certainly network segmentation goes a long way toward hopefully containing a breach, just like you might consider you would do in a submarine, uh, having sections that you can seal off and, and know that people can't permeate them. But I guess one of the other trends in IT right now causes this very problem to be worse, which is this whole idea of federated identity. For end users that aren't familiar with the term, you might be exposed to it as sign into our website with Facebook or sign into our website with your Google ID. But in corporate environments, of course, we use things like Active Directory to try to provide one set of credentials for users that they can use to access any system. And so even when there are barriers in place, we find that, you know, if if an attacker is able to compromise credentials or perform some sort of a pass the hash attack, they can just knock on all the doors and get through anyway. So unfortunately, this comes back to this whole convenience versus security problem, which is one set of credentials is super convenient, but that also does lend itself to this problem, which is once criminals compromise a set of credentials, good luck stopping them. Yes, it's like the proverbial access all areas card for a concert, isn't it? You know, it gets you anywhere backstage. And obviously that's convenient when you're running something like a giant rock concert, say. Um, But in the context of a computer network, it's the sort of thing that you should avoid altogether in my book. So it's not just that you say, well, we have very few people who can access all areas. If you need somebody who can go into multiple parts of the network, then really you should be getting them to, if you like, wear different hats or take different identities so that they can't accidentally be in one part of the network and then just inadvertently do stuff elsewhere. 
exactly the same problem that you get in miniature at home if you log into, say, Facebook and Twitter in the morning and you just stay logged in all day wherever else you go online. Yeah, exactly. So while we don't really know what happened at Sony, and I don't think it's fair for people to speculate, the truth of the matter is something bad happened. And it sounds like some of these problems may have contributed uh, to the scope of it. And to be fair, I don't think Sony probably has any idea necessarily what's been touched in that large of a network. It takes a long time to do the forensics. And that's Another benefit of having, um, you know, those, those barriers in place between segments where you can, as you said, uh, definitively say, actually, we know we have a completely different credential system. We've got two-factor authentication. We all, always store our human resources data in encrypted form, and we're quite confident that that data is not accessible to the attackers. Um, it'd be nice to be able to say that kind of thing, and the fact that organizations don't seem to be able to say it suggests that perhaps that's not the case. Now, you know, there is sort of this learning lessons problem. I mean, this isn't a new thing that we're talking about with relation to Sony. And apparently point of sale operators haven't really figured things out either. I mean, there's a, a new breach in the last week at SP Plus, an American parking company that uh, does a lot of uh, online payment processing for paying for parking spots. And um, turns out some kind of shared point of sale remote access passwords again. I mean, where have we heard this before? Yes, when I saw that, I just thought, oh, no. Not RDP with password 123 or something like that. The irony is that letting outsiders, contractors, consultants, security experts or whatever, letting them have remote access, one of the reasons you want to do it is that it does provide a convenient way of doing much more rapid emergency response. But there's just no excuse for not doing it properly because, as you say, it's obvious what will go wrong if somebody that isn't supposed to be there, can wander into your point-of-sale network. You know, it doesn't really need a degree in psychology or considerable expertise in penetration testing to work out what happens if a crook gets your RDP password. I suspect many organizations that outsource to these companies are not even aware that they've provided remote access, so I guess that's where the questioning should begin. What methods are you using to manage this stuff, and, and how do you secure them? Now there's another incident involving some spyware. I guess the CEO of Stealth Genie has been fined and I guess avoided jail time, but turns out writing spyware is bad. I mean, who knew? Well, it was always a very gray area in the United States, wasn't it? My understanding is sort of technically it's illegal, and yet there are many people who will sell you phones that have monitoring software pre-installed. This has sort of been going on with that cover that, well, we're not overtly selling this for criminal activity. But in this case, the courts didn't buy that sort of excuse. So one wonders if this is the beginning of much closer regulation of software that does have a potentially legitimate use, such as, you know, keeping track on what your children are doing, for example. Maybe the whole idea of how you get consent from the person is going to have to become a lot clearer. Um, The other interesting thing in this case, Chester, is he was sentenced to forfeit his source code and hand over his spyware to the government, uh, which has not yet said what it plans to do with it. (laughs) Uh, I'm I'm just reveling in what the conspiracy nuts are, are going to say about that. I mean, this this interesting idea of, you know, a device spying on you or listening in. I mean, have you ever walked into a, a crowded room full of nerds and said, OK, Google, 
and, you know, watched like 15 androids all suddenly pipe up and respond, right? There is a bit of a gray line here. As you mentioned, in the U.S., it appears to be legal to sell stuff for uh, monitoring your children, monitoring your employees, I guess, and probably with certain lawful caveats. Um, but all these devices are kind of spying on us all the time. I mean, really, what is spyware anymore? Is my, my Android operating system listening to me all the time? Is that spyware? Is, you know, it, it's starting to get pretty gray sometimes. And I mean, this idea of controlling it or legislating it, has that ever worked with software? Doesn't that just drive the development into countries that just don't have those rules? Well, I suppose you can say, okay, let's let's be laissez-faire, let's do absolutely nothing about it, or let's set some ground rules for the software that's made and sold in our country, and then at least we can hold others to the same standard. Well, and I think it, it does make consumers think twice maybe when purchasing these things, when you realize that you're doing something dodgy and you're having to go out of your way to do it. And let's also hope, Chester, that this whole incident does remind people that when you hand your phone over to somebody else, even if it's somebody you think you can trust, you may think, oh, well, they're just going to make a call. But of course, they can do pretty much anything they want with your phone, including installing any software and agreeing to any licenses that normally you'd be expected to do yourself. So perhaps if it makes people a little bit more cautious about just handing over their phone to people to make calls, that would be a good thing. Yeah, there is a new feature in the uh, Android Lollipop release for those uh, 11 people who managed to have it uh, delivered to their devices uh, that you can pin an application so that people can't escape it. So if you do want to lend your phone to a friend, you can pin the dialer app, for example, so that they cannot escape the dialer app. All they can do is make toll calls all day long. I wonder how long we shall have to wait before Android malware comes along that uses exactly that pinning feature to lock you out of all other apps so that uh, all you can run is the browser to go to the pay page for ransomware. Well, hopefully not at all, but we'll see what happens. Um, considering the adoption rates of, uh, of Android Lollipop at this point, it's not going to be a concern for a few more years from what I would guess. It turns out there may be more dangers to this uh, vaping or these e-cigarettes uh, than just health. I mean, for the longest time, there's all kinds of debate, it seems, amongst uh, everyday people going, well, hey, is it really safer to move from cigarettes to e-cigarettes? And are there is there harm to those around us? But now there's an, a potential for electronic harm, according to our colleague John Hawes. Yes, that was an amusing story, one that when we saw it, we thought, gosh, we have to write about this because, you know, it brought a smile to our faces. The theory is that this chap found that he had malware on his computer one way or another, and he went to his IT department. They simply couldn't work out where it had possibly come from. So eventually, the speculation was, gosh, it must have been this e-cigarette that charges over USB. Well, I guess that, you know, this is a little bit of uh, the Occam's razor, I guess, when it comes to maybe looking a little too deeply for a complicated solution to a simple problem. But I mean, there are so many of these USB devices now. I mean, I look around me on my desk here, and almost everything I look at that has some sort of power component is charged over USB. I mean, my headphone amplifier, my my camera, my ebook reader, everything has a USB port. And almost every one of those things also have some sort of microprocessor that I have no idea what code is in it. I agree. My bicycle lights charge over USB. And my assumption is that that's just power. And indeed, the cables, the little cables that came with them only have the power pins connected. 
So maybe actually, if I plug it in on a data cable, I'll get an unpleasant surprise. Yeah, USB can certainly result in more than meets the eye sometimes. So people should be cautious about what devices they're plugging in as if juice jacking and bad USB and everything else weren't enough to scare us. Yes. So if your IT department comes along and says, we're going to use device control software on your computer that will put some limitations on what you're allowed to do with devices, don't rail against that. Say, oh, well, I won't be able to plug in my camera. And what if I buy some fantastic new e-reader while I'm on the road and I want to plug it in? Maybe it's for the best if you just accept some limitations um, because it could protect you from yourself. Absolutely. Now, in the spirit of the holidays, as always, we try to do some fun and interesting things over at Naked Security. And this year, we're holding a bit of a contest uh, themed around the 12 days of, uh, of Christmas, of course. Uh, what can folks do to participate and what's up for grabs? Well, go to Naked Security and uh, you will see just before our daily email newsletter comes out, which just happens to be 1 p.m. UK time. We publish a story for the day with a quiz question. Uh, there are five t-shirts up for grabs every day for correct answers. And the people who answer the most out of the 12 questions correctly at the end of the competition will be entered into a grand prize draw where we have uh, a goodie bag, which I think will be up to about $500 worth of uh, geeky gifts. Uh, if you want hints or you just want to follow the easy way to do it, go to Twitter and look up the hashtag hash knack sec quiz well that sounds like a lot of fun paul and as always your quizzes and contests and things while varying degrees of difficulty are always a pretty good time and i'm a little even jealous of the uh the exclusive t-shirt that i saw and on that note i'm going to conclude software security chat chat 176 as always for the latest security news please visit nakedsecurity.sophos.com all of our podcasts are available on iTunes, uh, the TuneIn app, uh, Player.fm, and a lot of other of your favorite podcatching applications. Or you can just go to SoundCloud.com/slash/SophoSecurity. And until next time, stay secure.